You're listening to the podcast of the Institute for Advanced Sustainability Studies. My name is Anja Krieger. In Bonn, Germany, the second week of the United Nations Climate Change Conference has kicked off. And I'm here with Patrick Toussaint, who's writing a PhD on climate justice. Patrick, what is climate justice about? Climate justice has a lot of different dimensions. One aspect is to what extent people who have least contributed to the problem of climate change um, are affected by its impacts. Often you have poor and marginalized communities in developing but also in developed countries who bear the brunt of extreme weather events, um, be they hurricanes, uh, be they sea level surges, But you also have uh, slow onset events from climate change, such as uh, sea level rise, droughts and desertification. And the question is, to what extent can people who are most affected actually influence decision making on these issues? So you're really working on climate injustice, is that correct? Yeah, that's uh, certainly one way to see it. And one way it comes to bear is if you, if you look at uh, court cases. Uh, we've had a number of court cases arising in, in the context of climate justice. Just to name a few examples, we had a case in 2015 brought in the Netherlands uh, by the NGO Urhender, which was successful in first instance, which basically the, the court decided uh, that the Dutch government had to increase its greenhouse gas emission reduction target. And, and who sued? Oh, it was a citizens' um, alliance, I would say, of around uh, 800 people, um, supported by the NGO Orgenda that brought this case forward. And we see very similar de developments in other countries. Uh, in Belgium, uh, you have this, you have cases brought um, in Germany also, quite a different development. You have the NGO German Watch supporting a Peruvian um, farmer bringing a case against a German engine energy company trying to hold them uh, accountable for impacts in, in, in the Peruvian region. Mm -hmm. What is the situation of this farmer in Peru and, and uh, why is he suing? Right. It's quite a special case from uh, a legal perspective. Uh, it's an experiment, if you will. So you have a Peruvian farmer who lives in a village at the bottom of, of, a, of a mountain. And up in the mountain, there is a glacial lake that is, is building up due to melting, melting glaciers. And the NGO is arguing on his behalf that um, the company RWE, due to its contribution to global greenhouse gas emissions, bears a responsibility for the risk of this glacial lake um, breaking the dam and flooding Saul's village. Now, it's interesting uh, from a legal perspective because... In essence, uh, it's about tort law. Tort law deals with nuisances. Nuisances can be smells, odors, um, other forms of pollution that uh, come, for example, from, from an industrial activity. And usually this is confined to um, the German jurisdiction. But now you have this application of uh, German law extraterritorially to uh, the situation of a farmer in Peru, which is quite extraordinary. And I think cases like Saul versus AVE have the potential to inspire similar actions being brought in other countries. I also heard that the plaintiffs are often children. Is that right? That is correct. There's been a case in the U.S. called uh, brought by the NGO Our Children's Trust. Um, I believe it's also been quite successful in, in first instance. And I think one of the reasons why children are increasingly becoming aware of this issue uh, or increasingly bringing this issue forward is because there is a recognition that future generations will be 
strongly affected by uh, climate impacts. Now, in my research, I don't specifically deal with the rights and um, obligations towards future generations, but I look at um, who is currently affected by climate impacts. And what I've been finding, for example, here in Bonn, I'm conducting a number of expert interviews, trying to understand to what extent affected and vulnerable communities can actually participate in the decision-making here in the climate negotiations. And then what did you find out? Do you have any preliminary conclusions? Yes, I do. And the outlook is rather bleak. Um, if you are affected and you do want to participate in this process, uh, you would usually have to be registered with an NGO, a civil, a civil society organization that allows you to have access here to the negotiations. But even some meetings that were intended to be open to civil society organizations uh, as observers were at last minute uh, decided to be closed. So in effect, it's very difficult to find instances of effective participation. Often you have stakeholder dialogues coming together where observers can bring their views to the table, but often this just comes in the forms of uh, statements being read out and is not an effective dialogue as such there is an understanding that the negotiations are still mainly a party-driven process, meaning that uh, countries have the primary say in, in how decisions are made on the various issues under discussion here. Who are the vulnerable people? Can we clearly define that? There are different ways to define who is actually affected by this problem and who is most affected. Um, there's one way to look at it in terms of geography, um, there are a lot of people that live in areas that are more prone to natural disasters resulting from climate change, whether it's um, countries affected by hurricanes or by droughts or desertification. And that is probably one of the dominant approaches that is being um, used here in the negotiations. But another aspect is the social dimension, because it is often, as we find, uh, poor and marginalized communities that are affected the strongest by climate impacts and as we know they, these communities exist both in developed and developing countries so what I put forward is that if you use this community framing there's a chance to create more political will both in developed and developing countries around these issues currently um, the negotiations on what happens to those most affected by clim climate change are addressed under this issue called loss and damage Loss and damage essentially describes um, deaths, injuries, uh, loss and damage to property uh, caused by climate impacts. Um, some of it may be reversible, some of it may not. Um, there are also non-economic losses and damages, such as loss of cultures, loss of traditions, loss of language, etc. And there are different uh, strategies to dealing with this issue here in the negotiations. Um, developed countries are advocating strongly for um, the use of insurance mechanisms to protect basically the poor from these impacts. Whereas a lot of um, small island countries, for example, um, push for uh, more effective finance um, to help them protect against these kinds of impacts. So what do you expect will come out of uh, these court cases? Will it be mostly about money and, and compensation? Um, Certainly, money is just one component. Um, as you know, climate impacts are already happening. There are people around the world dying from especially natural disasters related to climate change. And money won't help them. 
I think one of the functions of these court cases is to bring more attention to this highly important issue, um, to, to get more political support also behind taking stronger action to combat climate change in terms of reducing emissions, pushing forward towards uh, the phase out of fossil fuels. And the other one is, of course, investing more strongly in adaptation, helping people who do not have the possibility to move out of the front line of these climate impacts to be better prepared when disasters strike. One of the ways that is being advocated in the discussions here is uh, insurance. But of course, there are impacts that you cannot uh, insure to. I mean, if you lose cultures, if you lose traditions, if you lose uh, traditional knowledge and practices to rising sea levels over time, then insurance is not going to help you. So we also need effective strategies to deal with uh, environmental displacement, as it's called, specifically in the Pacific region and other island communities. Thank you very much, Patrick. Thank you, Anya.